I think I was going to get up there, but I think I'm going to stay down here. You think that'll work? Because there's like a lot going on up here, and I, I don't want to trip and fall. Uh, my name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors at Common Ground. Uh, if you don't know who I am, we're really glad that you're here today to join us in this uh, celebration. I have four kids, and they range in age from seven to 18. And when my oldest two boys, who are both in high school, were little, their favorite hero movie was The Incredibles. You remember The Incredibles, right? They had a new movie recently, and uh, I think a lot of people missed out on the window of The Incredibles, but we were in the perfect window when they were, I mean, what little boy didn't want to be Dash, right? When Dash can run so fast that he runs across the water and doesn't even sink, uh, there's another guy that went on water and didn't sink, and, and he's pretty famous. So the fact that Dash could do that, that was a pretty big deal for a little kid, right? Lots of kids dressing up as the Incredibles for their Halloween costumes and things like that. But one of the interesting themes in this movie, The Incredibles, centers around Buddy. And if you know who Buddy was, he was the big admirer of Mr. Incredible. He followed him around, he dressed like him, he wanted to be a sidekick. He did everything he could to be a hero, to be accepted by his hero, Mr. Incredible. And he ends up, I hope, hopefully you've seen the movie, it's been like a decade, but he, he ends up kind of messing things up one day and causing a bomb to go off. Is it causing problems that I'm down here? Or is it okay? Good deal. Um, ends up causing a bomb to go off. He gets rejected by his hero, Mr. Incredible. He tells him to just go on. You don't need to be around me anymore. And that wounds him deeply. And he spends the rest of his uh, life trying to make up for that moment, trying to become someone that could be accepted by the heroes, trying to be a hero himself. He didn't have any powers, so he did it by inventing things, figuring out ways that he could be invisible or point at someone and, and move them around with energy and things like that. All kinds of, uh, of cool stuff. But eventually, this desire to be a hero and to do heroic things causes him to actually become like the arch enemy of Mr. Incredible. He wants to prove that he's better than Mr. Incredible. And he operates on this assumption that what makes a hero is the superpowers, the status, the admiration that those powers bring. He did everything. He did everything he could to, call, to, to become a hero, to, to find these powers through inventions. And there's a moment where a true hero becomes obvious because we know it's not really about the power. A true hero can only be measured by their actions, by what they actually follow through and do. The moment the true heroic character shines through, it's the climax of the story, it's the ultimate act. It's what we're calling today the heroic feat. That moment when you know that this is a hero. It seems to happen whenever I go over there. I'm going to stay over here. All right. Um, so what really makes a hero anyway? The dictionary has this as one of the definitions. A mythological or legendary figure, often of divine descent, endowed with great strength or ability. Can I tell you what I think about that one? I don't like that one at all. That's what Syndrome thought, right? That's the definition he was operating off of, because it's all about ability. He could be a hero if he just had the powers, if he just had the DNA, he could be a hero. But when you get past that definition, when you get into the real world, when you see people that are recognized as heroes, when you think of someone in your own mind or in your own life that you might think of as a hero, I think it's more like this quote. A hero is someone who saves the day for someone else. A hero is someone that saves the day for someone else. And as we're going to see today, Jesus is the ultimate Savior. He doesn't just save the day, he saves eternity for us. Jesus is 
the ultimate hero. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for our hero, Jesus. I thank you that we can sing about the, the truth of who he is and what he's done. I thank you that we can know people that are in another country sharing the truth of who he is and what he's done. I thank you that we can ourselves be on mission right here where you've placed us to tell others about this hero, Jesus. What he did changes everything. God, speak to our hearts today as we learn more about him. And it's his, in his name we pray. Amen. So we're in the middle of this series. We're, talking, we're calling Jesus Action Hero. Jesus Action Hero. It's a survey of the book of Mark. So if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've been just kind of speeding through the book of Mark. And Mark is a great book for this because the way Mark sets up his gospel is he goes from one moment of action to another. It's kind of like a comic book. And Jesus did this, and then Jesus did that, and then they were in this place. And, and so we're skimming through the book of Mark kind of like a comic book, talking about Jesus, who is the hero. And the first week we saw Jesus commissioning, how he calls people to follow him. And Derek talked about how as we follow Jesus, he actually lives in and through us to do his work. So he's the hero, but he chooses to use us. He calls us to be part of that. Last Sunday in chapters 4 and 5, we saw his absolute power, his absolute authority. He calms the storm, he heals the sick, he raises the dead. He shows his supernatural power as he performs these miracles. And the people, the crowds, as you can imagine, they start to get a little bit stirred up. The crowds start to grow. The crowds start to think, I need to follow this guy around because he's going to do something amazing. If you remember that moment in the Incredibles movie where the little kid sees Mr. Incredible lift the car in his driveway. The next day he's back watching and Mr. Incredible's like, what are you doing? He's like, what are you waiting for? Something amazing, I guess. He, they were just following Jesus around, looking for something amazing, because it kept happening. Um, he's the hero. In their words, they would have called him the Messiah. The hero they've been waiting for for centuries, to do what God said the Messiah would do. They even give him a hero's welcome at one point. If you look in Mark chapter 11, this is the first scene we're going to look at. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, it's called the triumphal entry, where Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem as a hero. And it says, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Here he is. He's arriving in Jerusalem and receiving the hero's welcome. They're excited about his power. They're excited about what they thought he could do for them. They're making a lot of assumptions about his mission. They were predetermining in their minds what his heroic feat, what his ultimate act was going to be. Just look at the words they chant as he rides in on this colt. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. To really understand kind of what this, uh, what the hero they thought Jesus was going to be was, we need to look at how these words are not just words they thought up. They're actually words they're mirroring. They're echoing these words from Psalm, from hundreds of years before. In Psalm 118, see if this sounds familiar compared to what we just read. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. I'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So here they are, they're shouting this thing that's a part of their scriptures, saying, this is the guy, this is the one, this is the, the, the Messiah that's going to change everything for us. The word Hosanna is an expression of high praise and adoration. And the fact that he's riding into the city and receiving this parade mirrors a Roman tradition of welcoming back a conquering general from the battlefield. They mention this coming kingdom of their father David. They are seriously rolling out the red carpet, thinking this is the guy, this is the promised Messiah. We have some modern-day examples of this kind of acknowledgement. I have in my notes that uh, when the Cowboys win the Super Bowl this year, but it's not going to happen. They, did, they didn't do it for me last night. So whoever wins the Super Bowl, it won't be my team, but whoever wins the Super Bowl this year, guess what happens the very next week, right? They go back to their hometown. They have a gigantic parade. People are throwing stuff. They want to hear everything the, the athletes say. They want to see the trophy. They get this conquering hero kind of uh, moment when they go back to their city. We have other examples of that kind of parade. This is the kind of thing you should be thinking about. This is what's going on here. People went out into the fields and cut branches and came back and laid them down at his feet. They were throwing their cloaks in the road. They wanted him to feel like this conquering general. And the reason they did that is because they thought he was going to restore the political, physical kingdom of Israel. They thought he was going to break them free of Roman control. They thought he was going to overthrow the current government and establish them once again as an independent nation, but they had it wrong. They misunderstood his heroic mission. They misunderstood what he was about, what it meant for him to be the Messiah. You know, I really love this moment in the story, not the misunderstanding, but the, uh, the moment when he's coming into the city and they're celebrating and they're laying down the branches. It just feels right. It's what Jesus deserved. Um, he was a conquering hero. He is a conquering hero. This adoration, this honor, this praise are exactly what he deserved from the crowd. He's entering the city to fulfill his mission as Messiah. But in that moment, their motivation, their understanding was flawed. They followed him because of what they thought he was going to do for them, what they could get from him. They followed him based on what they thought his power meant for their future. And it's that exact misunderstanding that actually leads to his real heroic feat. It leads to the moment that they betray him. It leads to his death, his ultimate act of sacrifice on the cross. Because just in a short amount of time, we see how much their misunderstanding causes them to turn against and betray Jesus. Flip over a few chapters to 15 as we skip ahead to the next scene. Jesus is delivered to Pilate. He's been on trial basically all night long with the religious leaders, and they need Pilate to give his stamp of approval to the crucifixion, to the execution that they were asking for. Look at verses 6 through 15 as Jesus interacts with Pilate. At the feast, he, Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Things have really changed in a short amount of time. 
Instead of shouting praise for Jesus as a conquering hero, the crowd is screaming for his execution. When it became clear that Jesus wasn't going to be the kind of hero they wanted, they simply wanted him gone. And Pilate can tell, it's just a little phrase in there, but he can tell these charges are without merit. These religious leaders are just offering up a way to, to take out a rival. He could tell they were envious of the crowds that Jesus could gather. So he appeals directly to the, to the people, thinking they're, they're going to have to agree. They're not going to go along with these religious leaders. And you would think with the recent events, with how much Jesus was adored as he entered Jerusalem, that Pilate would have been right. But the disillusionment, the betrayal are complete and they're total. Jesus is not who they thought he was because he was not going to do what they thought he was supposed to do. So they wanted him crucified. And what was a triumphal entry into the city just days before is turned into a mocking exit toward execution on a cross because they set up another parade. They have another parade right then in the verses following 16 through 20. They dress Jesus as a king. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They salute him. They mock him as he walks through the crowds once again towards his death. It's heartbreaking. It's devastating. It's why Jesus came. Because if you think about it, without brokenness, there's no need for heroes. Without hardships to overcome, without less than ideal circumstances, without curveballs that come at you in life, and, and they will and they do, there's really no room for heroic feats. Think about moments in your life where someone stepped into your circumstances in a way that could be called heroic. I can say with 100% certainty, they somehow saved the day for you in that moment. There's the big examples that are publicly recognized. There's the police officer that takes a bullet protecting innocent bystanders. There's firefighters that run into the fire to save people rather than staying away and staying safe. Uh, there's the person that can lift the car in the moment during the accident to get everyone out before the gas tank explodes. We read those kind of stories. There's, there's heroes. Maybe you've experienced something like that in your life. I haven't. Most of us maybe probably haven't. But there's heroes in all sorts of broken circumstances. The teacher that spends hours and hours with the student that needs extra help and has no support at home. The youth leader that pours into a teenager and helps them find their God-given potential and purpose. The student that invites another to sit with them at lunch instead of leaving them to eat alone once again. People that see the need for water in a country halfway around the world and organize mission trips and give money to fund wells that will change the life of a village. That's many of you that we've just recently done together. No matter what the situation that you think of or identify with, when you think about heroes, they come out of some level of need, some level of brokenness. A heroic feat, by definition, is an exemplary, even bold achievement, often an act of great courage or skill that benefits or saves others. Again, built into that definition, there's someone or some situation that needs saving. So, if Jesus is the ultimate hero, what is the brokenness that his heroic feat overcomes? What's the conflict in this action hero story that Mark is relating to us? It's sin. It's the source of all brokenness. It's the fall from the perfection of God. Jesus came to set right the brokenness of sin. Why? Why would he choose, why would he be willing to submit himself to that plan, to that death, to that cross? to that betrayal. 
because God loves you and God loves me. And his holiness and sin cannot abide together. So in order for us to have a relationship with God, sin has to be taken out of the equation. God is a God of justice, so sin had to be dealt with. It had to be paid for. It had to be punished. And that's where Jesus comes in and becomes the ultimate hero. So back to the story. They mock him. They crucify him. They kill him. And at the moment of death, when the punishment for sin is being placed completely and solely on his shoulders, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our sin did that taken completely by Jesus, causes him to no longer be in perfect fellowship with God in that moment. The writer Paul, the Apostle Paul, says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's his heroic feat. He makes our forgiveness possible. He makes it possible for us to have sin removed from the equation so that we can be right with God. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that punishment had to be paid, and it was, by the most heroic feat in history, his death on the cross. An act that makes possible our forgiveness, an act that makes it possible for you and me to be declared right before God, an act that offers you and me salvation and eternal life with God in heaven. So just like my boys used to imagine being Dash and dress up and, and pretend they could run across the water. They were actually puddles, but they pretend they could run across the water. We like to picture ourselves in the story when we're watching these kind of things, right? When we're hearing these kind of things. We like to picture ourselves in the story. And the incredible thing about the heroic feat of Jesus is that he acted so that we could be included in the story. We don't have to pretend. He died so that you and I could find our place and purpose in God's kingdom. He did that for you. He did that for me. So what is your part in this story? If he died so you could be part of it, what is it? What is your part? The first is to recognize your need to accept what Jesus did for you on the cross and acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. To understand the brokenness that is part of you because of sin. To realize that your sin must be dealt with in order for you to be right with God. To accept that Jesus' sacrifice is the means by which God redeems you and forgives that sin and to publicly proclaim him as Lord of your life. That's where the story starts, in you. If you've not taken that step of obedience, perhaps today God is calling you to become part of his story by doing just that. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you don't know why you're here. Maybe someone drug you here today. Maybe you just came because the Ashleys were going to be here. And that's an incredible thing. I'm excited. I've been excited about this day for weeks, ever since we decided we were going to do this. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you that any reason you might think of that you're here is actually incorrect. Because it's God that draws you. It's God that brings you. It's God that moves in your life and, and directs you to make a decision that causes you to be here today sitting in a seat, hearing something about how he wants to include you in his kingdom because of what he did through his son Jesus. And so today might be the day that you say yes to him for the first time. But as many of you know, that's just the beginning of our part in the story of God's kingdom. As we abide in Jesus, as we continue to love and live for him, the opportunities we have to be part of his work continue to show themselves. They continue to grow. Just look at where you're sitting today. You're in Pinion Hills Elementary School, Common Ground Minden, that four months ago wasn't a thing. And here we are praising God, worshiping God, hearing from God's word together in a space that God is using to create an atmosphere where people can hear about him and respond to him and experience him. You know what? There's a lot of heroes 
in this room because there's people that made the choice to leave what was comfortable and what they were used to because they said people need to hear about Jesus. There's people that come early and set up all of this stuff to create an environment so that others can come and experience God's love for them. There's people that are willing to have things stored on their property that we use for church. There's so many heroes because if Jesus is the ultimate hero, the most heroic thing you can do is introduce people to him. The most loving thing you can do is tell someone else how much God loves them. And so we're not the center of the story, we're not the heroes, but there's a lot of people that are pointing others to the ultimate hero, and that is Jesus. And that's the part we get to play in his story. Because at Common Ground, we exist for those that aren't here yet. So if you haven't heard that before, we're, we're a battleship, we're not a cruise ship. We're on a mission. We're not here for your comfort. We're here to see people know Jesus, be forgiven from their sin, and have that relationship with God that only he can provide. So maybe you need a renewal of that commitment in your life to that mission, to, to your role in that story, to be reminded that it's not about you and your comfort and your preferences, to be reminded that you're not the hero, you're not the focus of the story, Jesus is. And anything we can do, whether it's starting a church in an elementary school, going to Africa to drill a well so that people can hear about the gospel, moving to Ireland, not even knowing why you're there, and then seeing God move and bring people to your home to hear about Jesus in the musician community. I don't know what it is for you, Maybe to be a good neighbor, to be a good employee, to be a good student, to be a godly father, a godly mother, an obedient son or daughter with God's mission in mind in every aspect of our life. Because mission is not something you add to your life. Mission is something you see, it's a lens you see all of life through. When you're really on mission, it's not an activity you add. It's a lens you see the entire world through. Because the story is still being written. To take seriously out of our love for Jesus and his heroic feet, our part in the story is part of continuing to write his story. Mark 16, 19 says, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. You see, Jesus is coming back. And the story that's being written now is the time in history that, that we find ourselves in. The story that's being written now is the preparation for his return. So our faithfulness is part of the preparation for Jesus to return as many people as possible to know him before he comes. In Mark 13, 24 to 27, Jesus tells us how the story is going to end. He says, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man, Jesus, coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So what's your part in this heroic story? Do you need to talk to someone today about what it means to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? We'd love to help you with that. It's why we're here. It's why we come and set up chairs and curtains and sound. We want you to know Jesus and have that relationship with God that only he can provide. You can check on your Connect card that you want to talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus. Or you can talk to someone in the back here in a few moments when we enter back into our time of music. Um, they want to pray with you. They want to help you with that. But maybe you need to renew your commitment to being part of this preparation for the end of the story. To understand our role in telling others the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for them on the cross. To understand that you're on mission wherever God has placed you. To see others the way God sees them. To love others the way God loves them. 
and to understand our role in this ongoing story. If Jesus is the ultimate hero, and his death on the cross is the ultimate heroic feat, again, the most heroic thing you and I can do is tell others who he is and what he's done. Jesus is the hero, but he chooses and wants to use us to be heroes to others on his behalf. Maybe you're mostly an observer. Maybe at whatever church you attend, whether it's common ground or not, you like to observe and see what happens. But God's saying to you today, it's time to stop watching what's going on in my kingdom and become more a part of what I'm doing. It may not be something that happens in church. It may be something the church can celebrate that happens in your neighborhood or in your job or in your school. I don't know what that looks like for you specifically, but we'd love to help you navigate that journey as well. You can talk to someone in the back that would, that would pray with you and walk you through that over these next few moments. Jesus is the ultimate hero. He proved it, not through his supernatural power, but through his ultimate act of sacrifice and obedience to God's plan on the cross. And he offers you and he offers me a place in his ongoing kingdom story. The question is, will you say yes to whatever he's asking of you today? Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much that we have a hero. I thank you so much that there's nothing we could do to earn what Jesus did for us. But he did it anyway. Because of your love. Because you didn't want to leave us in our sin. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that needs to know you, that needs to make that declaration of who Jesus is as Lord and Savior of their life, that you would give them the courage to do that today, whether it's writing on their Connect card or walking to the back to talk to someone and pray with someone. But God, that today would be the day. I pray, God, you'd give courage to those that are in this room that have felt called to be more on mission for you, that you would show them ways to do that, that you would show them places to serve that make that possible, that they would have that lens of seeing people the way you see them, the people that you loved and sent your son to die for. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the chance to be here in this place celebrating you today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So something we do every couple of weeks at Common Ground.